Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marts and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome, everybody, to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is episode number 71. Back on February 6th of this year, my friend S.K. Murphy sent me an email. In part, here's what it said. Martin, I want to introduce you to a young man who may be Martin Lestraps in another life, another dimension. He's trying to do a good thing, and if you agree with my assessment, I want you to help him do it by getting him on the podcast if you can. His name is Michael Pontel. I've told him about you, and he was suitably impressed. See, he's smart. I told him he could expect to hear from you within a few days, as you generally do what I ask you to, because you trust my judgment. Don't make a liar out of me. Email him and introduce yourself. Then let him explain what he's up to. So that was the email my friend Kay sent me, and as I've talked about many times before on this podcast... S.K. Murphy is something of a guardian angel in my life. So if she asks me for a favor, then I don't hesitate to help her out. So I emailed Michael just as soon as I finished reading Kay's email. Michael wrote me back the following day, and we had a a very nice and lively back-and-forth conversation via email in which he told me about OnLinbrary, which is an Uh, It's a website designed to help aspiring authors get their work published. So Michael and I eventually scheduled a podcast conversation for March 6, 2015. So, you know, roughly about a month later. And from the moment Michael turned up on my doorstep, I liked him very much. He was just so very sweet and kind but there was also a fierce intelligence and intellect brewing just beneath the surface. Michael and I talked for over an hour behind the microphones, and by the time we were done, I knew, I absolutely knew without question, that I had just met somebody extraordinary. The sort of person who was destined to change the world. Michael and I exchanged emails semi-regularly after that, and uh, he kept me informed on a, on a writing contest he was hosting through his website on Linbrary and an awards uh, ceremony that he, that he was organizing, and he even asked if I would take part in it. And I was very flattered for the invitation, and I, I absolutely couldn't wait to take part in it. And really, I... I couldn't wait to take part in anything Michael was up to. Like I said, he was just just an extraordinary young man. And on May 15th, I received an email from Michael's father. And he let me know that Michael had passed away. This extraordinary young man, brimming with just absolute world-changing potential 
passed away and he was only 23 years old. 23 years old. To say I was stunned wouldn't do my feelings any justice. I just kept thinking about how how Michael was destined to change the world. I knew it. Kay knew it. We talked about it, she and I. About this amazing young man and just the great things he was going to do. And really, since, since I got that email from Michael's father, not a day has gone by that I haven't thought about that I haven't thought about Michael and that I haven't thought about just how confusing life is sometimes and how unfair it how unfair it sometimes seems to be why should somebody that young that bright bursting with light die at 23 years old over the last two weeks since Michael's father contacted me contacted me via email he has been more than generous with his time way more than generous because I can I, I, I can't even imagine I can't even imagine what what he and his family have been going through and that he would even that he would even take me into consideration to 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 even send me an email and, and you know let me know about Michael meant so much to me and we've exchanged a few emails over the last couple of weeks and he's been very kind and, and very generous and and he said some very nice things about me on behalf of Michael which mean the absolute world to me and he even gave me his blessing along with Michael's mom and sister to share this podcast with you because I wasn't even sure if that was something that I wasn't sure if it was something that was appropriate I wasn't even sure if it was something uh, I wanted to do but but I'm glad to do it. In fact, I'm happy to do it. I look forward to, to introducing you guys to Michael Pontel. Before I do, however, I, I would like to read you Michael's obituary. So here it is. Michael Pontel was a writer, a dreamer, a champion for other young writers whose voices had yet to be heard. An author himself of two books, Michael founded On Library as a platform for students and budding authors to have their work published on the open market. To write about your life, Michael wrote on the company's website, to share and support others in their creativity, to be supported in your own. This is where you turn when publishers and agents turn you down. This is where you decide how far you go how high you climb. No one will stop you here. Create. Share. Enjoy. Michael, who passed away on May 12th at age 23, created much during his young life. 
He wrote about relationships, about exploration, about life. His book, James Thatcher and the Seven Keys, opens with a poignant interaction between two foster care children experiencing their first taste of real freedom. With every passing second, he wrote, they felt more like regular loved children than the wandering vagabonds they'd been accused of being more than a few times. His writing came naturally, from a deep sense of compassion and caring for the human spirit, his family says. He grew up in Ontario, attended New York University, and ultimately graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in History from Hillsdale College. At On Linbrary, he created a writing contest for high school students, which he'd hoped to take national. The recently completed first contest featured more than 240 entries from the Chafee Joint Union High School District and Upland High School. Friends and family will keep the contest program going through onlinbrary.com. Michael loved to travel, and by the age of 16 had visited six continents, coming within 200 miles of his goal of reaching all seven. He loved to debate and passionately believed that people should know what they believe and why they believe it. He loved to play all kinds of games and was the master at learning how to find unconventional ways to win. He had very deep personal friendships and made those around him comfortable with his easy smile and keen wit. He will be enormously missed. In lieu of flowers, Michael's family requests donations be sent to Achieve Goals, an educational 501c3 nonprofit organization affiliated with On Linbrary, 11625 Mount Hood Court, Rancho Cucamonga, California, 91737. Please include Michael Pontel in the memo line. The money will be used to support young writers, coordinate future contests, and provide scholarships. So I'm going to share my conversation with Michael with you now, but before I do that, I just very briefly, I wanted to acknowledge that I wasn't sure if I should use the usual bouncy, jaunty music that I use to transition into my conversations. A big part of my brain just kind of feels like it's inappropriate, given the the circumstances of this particular episode. But ultimately, because I, I have been thinking about this really for at least the last few days, and honestly, probably longer than that. Um, ultimately, I decided that it was okay, or at the very least, I was okay with it. Because while Michael's passing is tremendously sad, it's... Even, even those words just really don't do justice to to uh, just to the great sadness of you know the, the the passing of an extraordinary young man but even though his passing is tremendously sad there was nothing sad about the conversation Michael and I had nor was there anything sad about 
the spirit in which we engaged in it. So for that reason, I've decided to go ahead and stick with the bouncy, jaunty music that transitions into my conversations. And I like to believe that Michael would have been cool with that. So if all of that sounds good to you, I present to you one of the most extraordinary individuals I have ever had the pleasure of meeting. Here is my conversation with Michael Pontel. I was born in San Antonio Community Hospital. I grew up in Ontario. Uh, uh, so on the border of Ontario and Chino, mm-hmm. just right in that area. Yeah. Uh, and I lived there for most of um, my life. Uh, I went to school up in uh, Claremont at oh. Foothill Country Day School. Um, and that was just like a really intense environment. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about that school, but it's one of those like really intense prep schools for little kids that, you know, <laughs> they teach you calculus in fourth grade and like, oh my God. it's just crazy. So, you know, I'm like a fourth grader, like pulling my hair out. So <laughs> I transferred over to um, Ontario Christian okay. uh, in fifth grade. So I went there until my freshman year of high school. Uh, I, this is going way too fast when I was born. No, no, no. This is great. Uh, so then Ontario Christian High School, I went there uh, for my freshman year. And then, I don't know, I just transferred to the now defunct Upland Christian, uh, which was in Upland. But then there was this weird thing with the church that owned the land. Oh. So, like, the school got sold to a different Christian school <laughs> franchise. It was this weird <laughs> political game. Um, so now Upland Christian is a Upland Christian Academy, which is right next to here. Uh, and that's Western Christian. But that was my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so like all my friends and all the teachers who went there for my senior year got scattered to the four winds of the Inland Empire. <laughs> uh, so I was like, I could just go to some random high school around here. Um, or I could do something else. So I went up to Alaska oh, for my wow. senior year of high school. Uh, it was a, a college called Alaska Pacific University where like it, it was a full college experience. Like you live in the dorms and just all that stuff. All, the, all your classes are college courses, uh, but they all count for college credit for, you know, the next year. Uh-huh. So it was like perfect. So I graduated and got those counted for all my graduation classes. That was your and, senior year of high school. Yeah. Wow. And all my, like a lot of, you know, core classes. So that was great. And Alaska is just amazing. I don't know if you've ever. Had it, no, I, I didn't. How did that even, how did that even, how did the option of going to Alaska even come about? Cause that wouldn't even occur yeah. to me. I had no idea that was even <laughs> well, an option. Me either. My mom, <laughs> she just researches everything, you okay. know? So she was just like, she, you know, when she knew what was happening, she just, you know, laid out three options. She's like, okay, well, there's three things you can do. You can blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so there was like, you know, two other alternatives, like one in New York and one in, I don't know, Illinois or something. But okay. I was like, this was the most liberal artsy one. And it was also in Alaska. <laughs> it just sounded really cool. <laughs> and it was, I mean, Alaska is so unlike here. It's just the school was like right in the middle of the forest. Like literally, I'm not kidding. Like if you look on Google maps, it's just like, there's a forest and then there's a college and then there's a road for, you know, miles and then town. Like, it was really crazy. And we, you know, every weekend we would just walk into the woods and camp for a couple of days and like wow. moose would just wander through campus. Like sometimes you couldn't get to class because there'd be a moose like standing on the path to the classes. So you'd have to like, you know, hike through the woods. It was really cool. Um, that sounds like a pretty amazing experience. Oh yeah. Uh, and I mean, the people up there are just so, so crazy too. Like I, we would just go, me and my friends would just go around the campus with some people. Cause you could see, 
you know, all the, the Denali mountains and everything up there. I don't have you uh, read or seen Into the Wild? Uh, no, I know of it. I've read, um, uh, I haven't read Into the Wild. I've read like one or two of uh, his other books. I say his because right this second, again, I think it's John Krakauer or something like that. Mm, I think so. Something like that. But I haven't read Into the Wild. I'd mm-hmm. like to, though, but go ahead and tell me. Well, it just. Yeah, the the place where he, you know, when he went up to Alaska at the end of his journey and then, you know, ventured into the wilderness and found the bus and everything, mm-hmm. he, uh, that was, that was, you know, two days hike-ish mm-hmm. from, like, where you could, you, you would basically drive to the entrance and then just hike through and stuff. And yeah. he wasn't, like, so far from civilization, but he was, you know, isolated himself. Mm-hmm. But, uh... So, so a lot of people would just go and like make pilgrimages to the bus, <laughs> like the holy bus. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, it's just like a really, really formative place to spend like a, a long time yeah. living. Because I and when you're there for the winter, right, and the sun is just like circling the horizon twenty four seven, and it's always like kind of dark. Like it's really, <laughs> you know, a lot of people. Oh, say, that's oh, right. Because yeah. it's uh, it's it's basically nighttime six yeah. months out of the year. Yeah. Now, how dark? Because I've heard that. Now, is it like? Is it like really dark or is there shades of dark throughout the day or? Yeah. I mean, it's so it sort of changes, right? Cause like it's sort of a process of the sun, like dipping a bit lower as time goes on and then it starts coming back up. But mm-hmm. like at its nadir, it's like, uh, it's pretty dark. I mean, you're, you're, it's constantly night and there's always stars and it's, you know, but you, you kind of get used to it. I mean, some people don't, there's like seasonal <laughs> affective disorder and all that stuff, yeah. but all the lights RUV and it's sort of like optimized and yeah. like there's tunnels under all the buildings <laughs> so you never really have to be outside but does yeah. your uh, does your body clock adjust like when you wake up do you know it's time to get up or are you like is it two in the morning or do you have any idea I mean I'm not convinced I've ever had a, <laughs> a body <laughs> clock I yeah I mean I stay up till two even now but it's like yeah you, you get used to it I mean you get used to anything it's uh yeah did you uh did you uh, visit the the campus or the area before you went out there? No. We oh, wow. Went up there sight unseen, <laughs> but, you know. It, I mean, that's cool, man, but yeah. that's pretty crazy. Crazy in the best possible way, but pretty <laughs> exactly. crazy. No, it's not a bad thing at all, and I would definitely go back up there. I mean, yeah, it's Alaska. <laughs> it's- now, were you uh, – uh, I mean, like, it, as, a, as a writer, I'm, I'm guessing that before you were a writer, you were – were you a creative kid? Were you interested in just being creative? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would always be writing, like, something, like, a short story, like, poetry, whatever. And, I mean, reading more than writing when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would always be having ideas for stories and stuff. And so, you know, yeah. when you go back and read the things you wrote when you were a kid, you were like, <laughs> you know, some of them you're kind of like, uh, but, like, other ones you're like, oh, yeah, I could see where I was going with that. And then you go, like, oh, I could do that with it. But it's... Yeah, no, so I've, I've definitely always been doing that kind of thing. But. Yeah. When I was, a, I didn't do a lot of writing as a kid. And I, I uh, when, whenever I look back on my, whenever I look back on my childhood, especially, uh, especially in the last, um, uh, I guess I've, I guess I've devoted just about the last 20 years to the, the craft of creative writing and fiction writing and, and, and prose fiction and so I remember when I when I first started, there was a part of me that, uh, and, and just just internally, not, not not you know, just was really desperate to kind of reconcile my personal narrative to somehow draw a, a nice clean line from. Of course, I loved to write as a kid, and of course, I loved reading as a kid, and that's why I'm a writer now. But none of those things were true. Like I didn't I didn't like reading as a kid. I didn't do any writing as a mm-hmm. kid, and so then I felt like you know, I, I think one of my concerns was. Uh, 
I, I don't even know who I was worried about, but that I just wouldn't be taken as seriously. Like, oh, you you didn't read much as a kid. You didn't really write as a kid. Then, you know, what business do you have, you know, trying to do this stuff on a, as a I don't know, as a professional now? So uh, so for me as a kid, I, uh, I, I remember that the only thing that I remember writing, and I, I don't even think I thought of it as writing, in retrospect, it was, you know, storytelling, was... Um, what grade would I have been in third or fourth grade something like that and I forget the assignment but I know it involved I think we were writing our own fairy tale something like that uh and that idea was really appealing to me and so I had this idea I don't remember I don't remember where it came from but even now I feel like I'm proud of like the third year old version of me that came up with it was um I was rewriting uh the three little pigs but I wrote it from the perspective of the big bad wolf. So he was mm. kind of the protagonist, I cool. think. And he was, I think I called him a scare E wolf. So his middle <laughs> initial was E. And uh, I, I don't, I, you know, it, there's a part of me that wishes that that exists somewhere and I could find it. Um, I'm sure as you said, if I saw it, I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty dumb. But I remember the idea, like when I look back on it, I was like, well, that's kind of neat that I, that I did that. But it didn't occur to me that I was writing. I think, mm. uh, uh, you know, like I, like I've always been in love with, uh, uh, I, I guess just being creative, but even as a kid, I don't think we think about like, I don't, I don't think I understood that, uh, you know, I was being creative. I was just having fun. Like mm-hmm. I like drawing pictures. I like watching movies and TV and, and I loved comic books and professional wrestling and all these things that excited my imagination. And, and there was no part of me that thought, okay, well now I'm going to be create creative because this is what I should do. It's only as an adult that you can sort of, you know, see that. So, uh, so I always like talking to, to writers like yourself. I, and and I, don't, I, I always get a little bit jealous, to be honest with you, because, um, like, I wish I wrote as a kid. Mm. And, I, and I wish I was reading as a kid. Because, um, you know, maybe I'd be a better writer today. That, you know, that'd be okay. But uh, so, so how old were you, though, when... I mean, like, uh, again, when you're a kid, cre- you know, when you're creative, it's just you're just sort of playing, right? But... Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you kind of remember an age where it occurred to you that uh, I like writing and this is, you know, this is something, w- whether or not you even ever, it doesn't even have to be that you imagined writing books as an adult, but just this this act of, of writing and storytelling is fun and I want to keep doing this. <clears throat> That's a tough question. I mean, because, I mean, how early do you even have just like, memories? <laughs> but it's like, I know that in at least fourth grade I'd been writing like tiny little stories like, something about a, you know, a sentient ball bouncing around (laughs) or something like that. Uh, but honestly, when you're, when you're that young, most of what I think you're writing and thinking about comes in the form of more fan fictiony things, right? Mm -hmm. So you read, you know, Harry Potter and then you're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, but like, what if, you know, (laughs) Harry, what if he, yeah, I don't know. There's like a million things you could go with it, but, and people do. Yeah. And a lot of those are, you know, teenagers, right. And they're like, they're all over, you know, the internet, just writing in (laughs) forums and everything. But yeah, something else that I don't, something I don't really understand is why we consider you have to be like an older, like person to be a good writer. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a very common thing that people just sort of naturally believe, and yeah. like it's not necessarily unfounded. I mean, it, it obviously there are huge exceptions to that rule, though, and it's writing is sort of one of the uh, one of these big creative domains that we just don't allow kids to really enter but like if you look at something like music i mean yeah if taylor swift can enter the scene at like 14 and blow everyone's minds mm-hmm. 
And like, you know, there's a million other, uh, the music scene is full of, you know, yeah. kids. Uh, why can't that be the case with other creative mediums? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, and maybe, maybe the evidence just isn't there yet. I mean, the only thing we really have is like Aragon yeah. from Christopher Polini when he was, you know, 14 or something. And that's not groundbreaking necessarily, but. Yeah. And you, as you mentioned it, and I've never thought about it in those terms, but that it's a, it's an interesting way to look at it. Cause he's, as you say that, uh, I start thinking about movies and of course in, in, uh, in films, you're not only is it, not only is it more acceptable to see a, a young actor, you know, applying their craft, um, it's almost really the rule. Cause like in, in Hollywood, uh, one of the worst sins you can commit is growing older, which of course is you know, <laughs> we all do. Uh, and so, especially if you're if you're a female actor in Hollywood, like the, about the worst sin you can commit is turning twenty five. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're a male actor, um, if you if you're an established movie star and people like you and you, they kind of like you, become almost sort of a, a brand. Then you can exist. So, like Jack Nicholson, George Clooney, Brad Pitt. You know, Brad Pitt and George Clooney. They're like in their early fifties now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you might still see them in a. Well, actually, Jack Nicholson's probably a better example because he's. Oh, what is he? If he's he's at he's. I'm sure he's close to eighty at this point. But at least a couple. I'd say like ten years ago, at least it still wasn't uncommon to see Jack Nicholson in a romantic comedy with somebody literally half his age, if not mm-hmm. you know younger than that. Um. And so then, so then, when we talk about books, there is that interesting idea, and it, where uh, uh, I guess maybe an older writer, or or just maybe a writer with more experience, life experience, academic experience, or just literally just more more years under their belt, um, seems to be more their their work is more readily accepted than maybe somebody younger who's like, well, you know. The fuck do you know, kid? Yeah, exactly. Give it, you know, give it some time. It's like a novelty. <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty interesting. And I wonder, and you know, who knows what the answer is? But there, I'm sure there's. If we examine that a little bit, I'm sure there's there's something there. Maybe, maybe if, uh, you know, maybe part of it honestly uh, goes to the, um, the 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 semi anonymous nature of of being an author. Because mm-hmm. if you're an author, uh, especially if you're a successful author. Your books are famous, and your name is famous. Uh, but but uh, if you're walking down the street, almost nobody's going to know who you are. Like right. like if Stephen King walked in here right now, we we probably recognize him. He's been around a long time. Uh, J.K. Rowling, I've seen pictures of her, but if she were standing in front of me right now, I might have like a vague like, oh, you look familiar. But you know, even though you're you've sold a gazillion books, I I think you look familiar. <laughs> you know. And so I wonder if there was something to that, if, uh, if, if, uh, not, not that I would want it to happen, but you know, if there was more of a, if, if being an author was more like being a film or a television actor and your, your face was as much as your brand is, is the work, then, then probably older, you know, you know, younger writers would have more success because then all of a sudden, you know, a young, uh, a young, good looking writer can be on Instagram and post selfies and, mm. And you know their their face becomes part of the brand, and that's you know what starts uh, selling stuff. Uh, I'm just I'm just sort of talking off the head off the top of my head now. But it's this idea you brought up that got me thinking about this. It's kind of interesting. And now that I think about, it, there's a few there's a few things you could. Uh, so if a the 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 fact that the person themselves aren't the famous thing, it's the it's the thing they create. You could either look at that and say, oh, so that means that. Like kids really don't have what it takes because like what, who's what's to stop a, an agent or a publisher from accepting something, you know, from anonymous submitter. Right. But I mean, you could also then look at 
you know, and this is something we might talk about later, but the state of the industry and mm-hmm. say like, it's actually impossible to like get in anonymously that way right. at all. You really have to know somebody. And the second someone knows that it's a kid, they're not interested. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Or at the very least now, if you want to get a, uh, if you want to get a, a traditional publishing deal, um, I think almost without exception, you know, you've got to like beyond, beyond having a, a great book, you almost have, you kind of have to have a platform where you know mm-hmm. you've almost had to on your own create a certain amount of name recognition, maybe even face recognition. Mm-hmm. I think it's the reason why um, uh, part of the ways that uh, uh, the the bigger publishers, and maybe more specifically the big five publishers, um, a lot of the books they publish are you know celebrities, whether whether yeah. it's a, a <laughs> whether it's a, a an autobiography. Uh, or just a novel written by a celebrity. So, um, the, the, the you know the the example that always comes to mind because I, I I was really surprised when I saw it was Snooky from you know, she's written two novels yeah. um, or written I I you know I I, I mean <laughs> written I'll throw I'll throw up air quotes I've got on a page <laughs> she uh, I if, if I had to guess. I'm, I'm sure there was a I'm sure there was a, a very well compensated ghostwriter yeah. who who. Uh, who maybe watched, you know, Jersey Shore and wrote a novel or something like that. But even that, you know, that would actually be an example of like I'm I'm if I had to guess, I haven't seen I don't know what the numbers are. I'm I'm guessing that the her book probably did pretty well. Mm-hmm. And if it did do well, it would go back to the beginning of what we were what we started talking about here where it's doing well based on her name, based on her celebrity yeah. and uh not based on the her work. And again, she is Younger. I mean, she's she's part of a she's you know part of the sort of reality TV MTV uh, uh, generation of celebrities. I know. Um, let's see. Uh, I know there's been uh, some some actors over the years. Some of them movie stars. Some of them just more maybe just kind of well known actor. I know Ethan Hawke about ten or fifteen years ago wrote a couple of novels. Uh, oh. I know uh, what's his name. Uh, uh, good actor. Um, Goodness, you might be able to help me out. I w- he was a the, good actor. That's he was in the funny. interview. Oh, uh, Seth Rogen, James Franco. Jan- yeah, James Franco. Yeah, he wrote at least one collection of short stories. I know. He, I think he's probably done more. Well, he has like a master's in creative writing from NYU. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's actually like he, he's one of those guys where he's he's actually done you know done the work and you know taken the classes and done yeah. the workshops and and so even though his celebrity probably did get those stories published. He's actually, you know, at the very least, uh, qualified. Done Whatever the work. Means. Yeah, done the work to, and and, and that, that's not even to say. Uh, I don't even. I don't think you were making this point either. Uh, but just for anybody listening, that's not even to say that you have to go to a school or a program. But there is something to be said about doing the work and learning the craft before, you know, essentially, in, in sort of maybe the the most, uh, I don't know, uh, simple terms. Uh, like the way that I think about it is, um, like with my own work, before before I put a book out and ask somebody to spend money on it, I want to make sure that you know I feel comfortable at asking them to spend money on it. Right. That I've that I've put in the work on that particular story. I've made it as good as I can make it. And then in terms of the craft itself, have I done enough work to have I learned enough about storytelling and uh, creating characters and, and, and being interesting and engaging and putting words on a page. Have I done everything I needed to do to justify 
asking somebody to spend money on off, off of this story. Um, and so in that sense, you know, James Franco, he's a, uh, I, I, yeah, in terms of writing, uh, even filmmaking, cause he's, uh, I know he's, he studied, uh, uh, directing and filmmaking and he's just a very sort of, a very sort of, a uh, kind of a rarity really, I think probably in Hollywood in terms of he's, he's, um, he's a pretty legit movie star but uh, his his creativity, I think, goes a lot deeper than a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of movie stars, as far as that goes. Um, I don't even know if we have a natural transition out of that, but that's <laughs> kind of, kind of well, a lot of up. celebrities do once they've succeeded in one arena. You know, I mean, it's the trope of like a Disney Channel star then becomes a pop <laughs> sure. singer. They have to. It's yeah. like the rules. Uh, and I mean, you've got Shia LaBeouf who does all these art installations. Right. Uh, the, the famous one where he just sat there and let people do whatever <laughs> they wanted to him. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, once you, once people associate your name with creativity, there's really not much that they won't let you do. I mean, you'll get a lot of flack for it. Like James Franco gets flack for his other artwork. Everyone's just like, Oh, what your, you know, your resume is, is 20 pages long. Who do you think you are? But you know, I think it's legitimate. Yeah. You see that a lot, right? It's just like, you know. You're a movie star. You're an actor. We like you there. Mm-hmm. Quit trying to do all this other stuff. I don't care if it makes you happy. That's not what <laughs> we want you to do. You know, exactly. do that stuff. Um, but yeah, so it kind of so so uh, so not the beginning of our overall conversation, but this 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 thread of it that we find ourselves on. Uh, it, it did kind of start with this idea that authors are generally anonymous, and and uh, and yet we there there's. Because you know, as far as the publishing industry goes, and uh, is is it's it was always like selling. I think even in, in the best of times, it was tough to sell books. But but the publishing industry, you know, they would sell books, and so I think uh, I, I don't know, I don't know exactly when things started to shift. It might have been around the time that the the the, the, the economy took a shit in two thousand and eight, mm. but maybe even before that, where you know. It, it, like if you're if you're a book publisher, you're you you know you're you're already competing with with movies and television, uh, but now you know with with the internet, you're competing with movies and televisions and websites and video games and and apps and smartphones. There's so many things that are taking attention away that is getting harder and harder to publish books. And so then, if it's becoming harder and harder to publish to well to sell books, not publish but to sell books, then eventually something kind of sort of has to give. So on the one hand, if you're a publisher. Uh, you're you're relatively limited to your budget anyway, and you know you've got your you've got your established stars, be they Stephen King or J.K. Rowling or uh, any other sort of writing superstar whose names I can't think of right this second. Um, so they're going to keep publishing, they're going to keep making money for you. Uh, but then you know with with the with the money you have left, you know who else are you going to publish? Well, there's this uh, hypothetically, let's say you've got. Uh, You've got this uh, young girl. She's 23 years old. She went to the you know, Iowa Writers Workshop. She's published in several wonderful literary magazines. She's learned her craft. She's got this wonderful book. She's not famous, but boy, this book is good. Um, but we also have Snooky over here, who you know she, you know, even I don't I don't even, I don't even think she's interested in fooling anybody to think that she's a writer. <laughs> but you know, we have an opportunity to to publish a book here. Uh, this writer on the left, this this young lady who uh, you know did all the work. The work is solid, 
but she's never published before. No one really knows her. Snooki's never written before, really, but she's got a huge platform. She's a celebrity, and we can mm-hmm. price a lot of books. We have a limited budget. We can only pick one. Well, let's go with Snooki because <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, we're a business. We have to sell books. It's the books. obvious choice. So, yeah, we, we have to go with Snooki. So we've got Stephen King. We've got J.K. Rowling. Uh, I'm acting like there's one, one publisher in the world, but I think uh, you get my point. You know? yeah. and, then, uh, and then we've got Snooki. Okay. And then, and then essentially... That that becomes the budget now. The budget is, it's it's exhausted. So we published our stars, we published some some celebrities, whether it's a novel or whether it's a, a bio, whatever it is. Now we've got our books for the year. Put these out. We're probably going to make our money back. But then the byproduct is uh, that twenty three year old writer who went to the Iowa workshop and got her MFA and really learned her craft. She's sitting on the sidewalk. Well, what the fuck happened? Like I I you know this is. This this thing that I do, this writing thing, this is I do this better than I do anything else. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, you guys represent the business that that allows me to do this. But you're kind of saying that there's not a seat at the table for me. So maybe what, she wrote Snooky's book. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was maybe that was a compromise. Listen, we can't put your name on it. <laughs> We're gonna have you sign contracts that say that no one will never ever know. <laughs> but here's a paycheck for you, and you know whatever. Um, but that idea, I, I, uh, and, and you know, if I'm, if I'm, uh, uh, don't let me put words into your mouth, but I feel like that idea, that overall idea is a big part of, of, of why you started your website. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to go ahead and sort of introduce, uh, your website and talk about that. Yeah. So the concept is, it's a pretty broad concept, but it, it basically stems from, you know, the publishing industry being sort of an old boys club. It's, you know got the dollars at the top that go to the people at the top and then there's very little room for for entrance from Mm -hmm. from the little guy the medium guy i mean almost anyone at this point it hasn't always been like that but it's always it's always kind of been you know a a tough playing field but as time has gone on it's gotten harder and harder not only because people don't buy as many books and you can attribute that to what you want maybe it you know pirating or just whatever Mm -hmm. but it's definitely the case that it's a shrinking pie, and so you know no one's no one's really going to take a chance uh, on, on effectively creating a celebrity, right? Yeah, I mean that's what you really you really kind of have to do. I mean, no one really reads a book if they don't either know the person or the book has been recommended by a ton of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's why something like Fifty Shades of Grey makes sense, right? When you look at it, it had to start as as fan fiction of something already popular. Mm-hmm. Because that's what got the initial people to read it and then share it. So, I mean, that's sort of going off topic. But so the the point of the website is basically people can upload what they've written and it's free for them to upload, for people to read. And then at some point when it's when it's economically viable from advertisements or whatever that, that form takes, we actually pay the author based on, on views. And that doesn't have to be the end goal. And mm-hmm. I don't necessarily envision that as the end goal because then people can take whatever fame or following they've built and sell their books on their own site or on Amazon or mm-hmm. go to a traditional publisher or whatever. So really, I mean, we're just facilitating whatever the person wants to do. But, mm-hmm. you know, even for a big author, if they want to write a blog every week or something and have a real, you know. So, I mean, basically the, the thought is there's no critical mass of people in one place where people are writing stuff and it's free to access and authors can theoretically, you know, garner interest, make a little money, just whatever. So it's the critical mass of people that we're going for because mm-hmm. with those people, then someone who's written something really good 
can, you know, get all their all their Twitter followers or whatever, or even if they just have, you know, their family and friends, they can leverage those people in order to matter. So they can push themselves to the top of some genre for the day, which can then get people to read something that could be really good. Yeah, and then they can turn that into whatever they want. Yeah, and it's called On Library. Yeah. I don't want to get the name wrong. <laughs> I, th- I You know, until we sat down to, to talk, I thought it was On Library, but I yeah. guess that's... The name was taken, taken. Yeah. and you know we're bootstrapping it, so we don't have the the five grand to pay whoever owns that domain. But Onlin Brary works. So Onlin Brary, and is it is that is it uh, what, what's the what's the URL? www.onlinbrary o n l i n b r a r y dot com. And so part of the idea was you were kind of looking at the. Uh, uh, well, I was going to call it a business model. That might—I don't know if it's necessarily a business model, but you're, in, in general, you were looking at the model of of YouTube. Right? Yeah, yeah, because I mean that, and that is a bit different because they were taking something that really didn't exist in terms of no one was sharing their you know micro videos with anyone other than family or on home video. Mm-hmm. Um, but this does exist. I mean, there are blogging platforms. There are—I yeah, don't know so much about book platforms, but. It, from what I've seen, the kind of the kind of situation where you can put your book up or whatever you've written up, and get recognition from people you haven't met, doesn't really exist. I mean, there are various forms, but most of them involve some kind of monetary interaction. Mm-hmm. So either you pay to put your book up, or people pay to like subscribe to the site, and then they can get access to that catalog of authors. The closest thing that I've seen is <clears throat> the Harper Collins website has a. Uh, it basically it's authors looking at authors stuff and mm-hmm. then it's whatever gets to the top every month gets looked at by HarperCollins publishers. Okay. And I mean, you know, at that point, HarperCollins already owns the thing. Like <laughs> right. you can't do anything with it, but it's, uh, and maybe that's not completely, I don't, I don't want to speculate, but no, that's okay. Um, yeah. So, but in terms of this specific kind of thing where like YouTube, random people can make things that other people can just access. And then that can go wherever it goes based on the own person's, you know, marketing skills or following mm-hmm. or whatever i haven't seen that yeah and and so uh and it's a great idea because i get like if i uh i imagine if this was this if uh if a website like this was around when i was when i was trying to get uh, some traction on my on my own writing career uh i think it would have been pretty ideal this this mm-hmm. place where again you know, if you're if you're a writer and you just like i like i remember it just the the, the very 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 beginnings where i was just you know, I I didn't care where I got published. I just wanted some. I just wanted to see my work my work in print somewhere. Partly for, partly for the validation of it. Or, you know, partly for, I think partly just just for just to let me know that I'm not wasting my time in front of the computer writing these words that 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 somebody thinks it's worth showing to to, to somebody. And so I think. Uh, uh, I, I think if, if I had had a website like this, this would have been pretty ideal where I could put up a, a short story. I could put up a, a, a chapter of a novel I've written or, or something like that. Um, and, and it sounds like the and, it, and I think you kind of articulated it. But again, don't don't let me uh, get it wrong. It sounds like the idea is, you know, um, somebody can they can uh, they can go on in uh, on Linbrary and uh, they can they can. I don't know if "publish" is the right word, but for the sake of this, I'll say they can they can publish you know, their work. I mean, they 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 own the rights to their work, right? Mm-hmm. So that's probably worth yep. saying. Like they're not, you're not asking anybody for for the creative rights. You no, just kind of create it off anytime. You've created this platform, but somebody can go on there. Uh, somebody else can can read their read their short story, read their chapter, read their poem. 
Uh, and you've got fiction, nonfiction, poetry, you know, different genres, basically whatever you're doing, people right. can go on there, right? And then uh, they can get some traction. If enough people, you know, like it, then all of a sudden, you know, that writer's getting some traction. Maybe they get some more Twitter followers. Maybe people find them on Facebook. Maybe all of a sudden they start, you know, they can start to build uh, a readership in the best case scenario. Uh, and then maybe they've got a couple of options. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can they can take that momentum and show it to uh, an agent or a small publishing press or even just a larger publisher and say, look, not only do I have a story, but I've got this this readership that I've built and, you know, they might be interested. Uh, they might decide to, to publish the book themselves and say, fuck it, I've got a readership now. I can just put this out myself. Exactly. Um, and uh, and it sounds like that's kind of sort of your your hopes for this. Yeah, and I, when I was first... You know, when I came up with the idea, it was I, I came up with the idea because it was what I wished existed. Because right? <laughs> I wrote a couple of books and I ran into all the you know troubles that you ran into that everyone seems to run into, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh well, what do I do now? And I was like, <laughs> okay, I, I either go out and try and just you know market myself like crazy, which which you did you know successfully, but yeah. it takes a real special kind of person to be able to do that. Like mm-hmm. it's it's not something just anyone can do. If so, we're we're really just trying to lower that barrier, right? yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things that we can do, a lot of cool things we can do in terms of community interaction with authors that aren't really available on other places. So we have we're we're going to implement it. We're in contest mode right now because we're doing some contests around here, but we're going to switch that off very soon. Uh, and basically, you know, comments on each page mm-hmm. as well as the whole book, so you can really have a, a dialogue with your readers about, oh, you know, I can't believe. Dumbledore died here (laughs) spoilers but um, you know there's just there's so many things you can do when your platform is so open uh, in terms of the author actually like dialoguing with readers and there's there's some websites that actually do have that kind of element but the goal isn't to promote the author as much as it is the story so something cool that I that I hope you know happens as this goes is I don't know if you know anything about about Reddit, but there are a few uh, like subreddits where people write various stories. Okay. And there's one in particular that I like called No Sleep. It's like <laughs> horror stories and stuff. But what, what tends to naturally happen is someone will write a story as though something scary is happening to them. Uh-huh. So it's like, oh, there's someone in my house. Like, and then uh, they make it really good and compelling. And the people in the comments like get involved like, oh, you need to like call Tony the Exorcist. Or, but it's like <laughs> it's a really good like interaction. And then oftentimes that leads to part two, three, four, and like a few people have gotten book deals off those, those kinds of things. But the point is that that kind of interaction can happen in a lot of different genres and mediums. And the more people are interacting with an author, that's just an invaluable kind of asset Mm -hmm. for an author, you know? Yeah, no, that's huge. Yeah. Just that the interaction with, uh, with, with, with readers is a pretty, it's, it's extremely valuable. Uh, cause especially if, um, you know, like if if I was going back to my experience of of just trying to learn how to be a writer, I remember there was like before uh, before I transferred to to Cal State San Bernardino, and that's where I studied uh, creative writing and literature, primarily creative writing though, and that was my it was my first true experience of being in a in in, in a writer's workshop where you know I was learning with other writers who were trying to learn how to be writers, and we had. Uh, professors kind of guiding us and teaching us certain uh, principles in terms of storytelling and writing and character and stuff. And then, um, but so, so before then it was just, I would, the only real guidance I had was the books I was reading. So I'd read, uh, I'd I'd had my favorite authors that I was discovering. And then I would sit down and try to, try to write. And as much as I could, 
I would try to reverse engineer what they were doing. And mm-hmm. so like, well, I like this book. I like this writer. So I, I know what I like about it, I think. So I guess I should try to write like that. And then, then ultimately I would do some terrible writing, but it was in the effort of trying to write like whoever, Tom Robbins or or Stephen King or... I have a copy of Harry Potter, the first one, that's just (laughs) marked all the way through. And I mean, maybe that's not like the highest literature to do that to, but, you know, I just wanted to see what she was doing and really try and understand that. And uh, and I don't know if you were more successful than I was, but I wasn't... Like, I I mean, at the very least, when I look back on that, I know... And and, and I'm not the first writer to, to start out writing terrible stuff, but I know, I, I know that I wasn't writing very good stories, but I, but I know also that there was value in, in the doing of it, just, just in the, in the effort and the trying. And, um, but on the other hand, I didn't have, um, I didn't really know anybody else who was trying to do what I was doing. I, like, I knew other creative people, but I didn't really know anybody else who was interested in writing books and stories and that, that I could even have a conversation like this with or a teacher, you know? And so it wasn't until I got to Cal State San Bernardino and it was, it was my first time being in a workshop, usually 10 or 12 students. And, um, by and large, the class, the the, the classes, I mean, I, there, there was different teachers, but the, 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 the uh, my teacher who I took as many classes as, as I could with, his name is James Brown. And he's a, uh, he's, he's a novelist in the last, uh, I'd say 15 years. He's more known for being a, a memoirist, but really wonderful, uh, teacher, a really wonderful writer. And so his classes were, um, very simple, very bare bones, uh, workshops of, you know, there'd be 10 or 12 of us and he would, you know, he would, he would offer a certain level of, uh, instruction in terms of talking about storytelling and characters and things of that nature. But ultimately the class was, you know, everybody writes a story and it was usually like one story per class. So for one class ahead of time, you know, like we would have to, I'm sure it's different now with email and stuff, but we would have to, you know, I'd write a story, print it go to the print shop, print copies for everybody, take it to class, distribute them. Then the next class, you know, they would read it. Then we would show up and uh, we would sit in a circle and every, we would go around the circle and everybody would take time to say, give their thoughts on the story. Uh, in, in, in the best case scenario, they would give you feedback on, you know, uh, what they liked. They'd give you feedback on things that they feel like you can work on or build on. Um, and all the, and it would last about 40, 45 minutes uh, the author um, was not allowed to speak at all, so he couldn't hmm. defend himself. He couldn't say, oh, no, 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 you misunderstood <laughs> that. He just had to sit there, take notes if he wanted to, but ultimately just, just listen to all the feedback. Sadistic. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, the, the professor, in this case, James Brown, he would always talk last because his, his purpose of what that was, like he understood that in the context of the workshop, he'd be seen as an authority figure, so he didn't want his opinion to affect what the other students would say. So mm-hmm. he'd let the students talk first, and he'd offer his feedback. And then after everybody offered their feedback, then they would just have a conversation with each other, hmm. with the author there, and, and, and you know, you're listening and taking notes, but ultimately just you're hearing a conversation about your story, almost like you're a fly in the wall. This is what readers got out of it. Here's what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, uh, I think I even experienced this where, you know, uh, somebody would have a thought about a scene and they got it wrong. Or, I mean, they, 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 they read it in a way that I didn't intend for. And then almost like a, like a, you know, like a white knight, another student in the class was like, no, 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 that, that's, not what, that's not what I got out of it. And in my head, I was like, fuck, yeah, tell him, you know, but I can't say anything. And then I would, you'd get these great 
great dialogue. And then once it was over, then then you could talk. So if you had if you were holding anything in, you could talk. You could whatever. I usually was. I think I was usually just you know just thank everybody for their feedback. I don't I don't think I ever tried to be right. defensive or anything. But going through that that experience for me, that's when I really that's when the when I really started to learn how to write, and, I, and, and a big part of it was. Uh, these dialogues with other people that would read my writing and it wasn't just constructive criticism because I mean that's that's useful too but just hearing people have a conversation about your story um, as if as if it's a real story as if they read it in an anthology they got off a bookshelf and we Mm -hmm. both read the story and now let's talk about it it was a super valuable thing so again so so if your website's doing that if it's allowing this space for people to have conversations about stories and then the the writer ultimately can either get involved or they can just sit back and read yeah. it. That's got to be super valuable. Yeah, and and with you know comment systems as they are today, they can be any level of dynamic, so you can really get that conversation going. So if you have that one person who didn't understand something, mm-hmm. their comment may not be you know uh, people may not sympathize, so that might get like down, and someone who like is defending you gets up. But yeah. then you yeah, comment systems these days really do offer a lot of constructive criticism mm-hmm. depending on how they're formatted. Right. Some, you know, I mean, like, let's not get into, like, the YouTube comment system. I was going like, to ask you about that, but go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, and we're, we're, we are definitely, like, that's a thought process we're really having. And we, we turned off comments for the, for the high school contest we're having just because we yeah. don't want to, you know, we're yeah. just getting into, we don't want to deal with any kind of bullying or anything like that, yeah. which is so common. But, you know, as we go forward, we really do want whatever facilitates the best conversation around these pieces. Cause that would have been so valuable to me mm-hmm. and you know, to anyone, everyone wants to know what are people thinking? Oh, you don't like it. And like, maybe some authors can't take that. And frankly, maybe they can't take it cause they're not used to it. They haven't right. had to up to this point. They, mm-hmm. they'd read, you know, just reviews from the elites and in, in whatever <laughs> the guardian or something. And then they're just like, Oh, well you don't know. You're just one person. But if a thousand people validate the opinion, you're like, yeah, Okay, maybe that's yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Again, and that was the other valuable thing uh, for me in the workshop experience was, uh, you know, l- let's say it was ten students because it'll just make the math easier for me. Um, so amongst those ten students, if one or two people had a, a certain opinion on the the story, and it didn't quite it didn't quite uh, uh, vibe with what I was going for. It was a lot easier to dismiss. I was like, all right, well, that's like one voice, but they just didn't get it. But if, you know, six or seven people independently of each other had the same thought, like somebody said it, and then two people over is like, yeah, actually, you know what? I use I, That's exactly what I was thinking. And someone else is like, yeah, when I read it, if, if six or seven people have it, then all of a sudden I realize, okay, well, there's, there's something mm-hmm. here that I've got to look at because they're all seeing it. So then it's worth my time to, to go look at it. So there is something to that where if, just if it's just one quiet, one well loud but dissonant voice, then it's yeah. like okay, that's 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 you. But I don't really have to listen to you. But if a lot of people are saying it, um, and hopefully they're saying it in a in a, in a constructive, yeah. <laughs> optimistic, polite way, yeah. that'd be my you know I, that would be my other concern. Though, as you as you mentioned, you know, YouTube comments and just mm-hmm. I I I generally speaking, I avoid. I don't even like reading comments, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on. Like sometimes I'll just I'll I'll go on like ESPN and I'll, I'll read a sports story, and there's comments under it, 
And if I'm feeling particularly, <laughs> if I'm feeling particularly, you know, yeah. masochistic or something, I'll read a few comments, and and I know I'm going to get mad, but I'll do it anyway. I th- I think the part of me that's, I, I think I want to be surprised by the level of conversation people are having, and I'll get three or four comments, and then I'll just like, oh fuck, I hate people. Why do? You, oh my god, why did why did I do this? I yeah. knew I was going to get mad. Why did I do this? Um, and I wonder it like. I mean, obviously, I know that that's uh, I know that's a concern for you. Um, is that is it something? Have you thought long term of like would you would you have somebody moderating the comments or I mean, I, I, like, have you given thought to that? I mean, large scale moderation of a, of a moderation is really only feasible depending on the site, like yeah. the size of a site. So, yeah. you know, and it's a question that every website ultimately has to answer: is how do we how do we figure out what's valuable and what's not? Mm-hmm. And so you're right. I mean, most comment sections, I mean, on news websites, forget it. Just don't even bother. <laughs> like on YouTube, don't really bother on. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to find good ones, but I would say, I mean, Reddit is pretty good in terms of how comments work. Like most people go to the site just for comments, but on, on things that are so subjective, like a piece of writing, yeah, you really do have to take into consideration what someone's going to say and how that will affect the person posting it mm-hmm. and just everything. But, you know, hard moderation, probably not. I mean, yeah. reporting probably just for like really offensive things. That's probably the better way to go too. Yeah. Cause then, cause then, uh, the, 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 the folks who are spending time on the website, they can essentially police themselves. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to, whether it's you or somebody else in charge of it, like they don't have to look at every single comment and, try to make a decision about something's uh, uh some comments level of uh, appropriateness or not actually and even as far as that goes now no no I'm thinking about it um so on the one hand it would make perfectly good sense if uh, just somebody who frequents the website they see a comment and they can they can maybe report it to you or whoever again whoever is in charge and say you know uh somebody left this comment and I don't I don't think it's constructive I think it's kind of mean I think they're being hateful or just trolling or whatever then you can check it out uh, I wonder how much of that w- would you have any objection? And I don't even know if, if maybe, I don't know. I don't even know if it's good or if it would be right or wrong. Would you feel any objections to to the authors reporting comments, or would you just as soon leave that to to everybody but the author? I mean, for see, it gets tricky, right? Yeah. So I am I'm like the biggest freedom of speech advocate you'll meet, right? Like yeah. I I hate censorship in all its forms, and yeah. I would never want to like ever compromise that i mean it's it's a bit tricky when you're dealing with students just because administrations have different policies and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but in terms of general like how someone's going to respond to you know hate speech or something ultimately i mean if we have like a like a system where something can get buried if enough people and i think the majority of people if they read something highly offensive are going to say like not okay you know so it's and and they'll they'll send it down or whatever uh that means but yeah, I think generally if you leave it up to people, they'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So I think that the the goal is really to put the power into the hands of the users. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, wh- whatever form that eventually takes, that's the end goal. Yeah, and that sounds it, it sounds like a pretty reasonable way to to approach it too. Is is again, it's you know the the the, the authors can put their work up, other people can you know read it and leave comments. Uh, if if ultimately there is one or two. Uh, you know, uh, bad eggs than, than, uh, than the people who, who care about the website and, 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 you know, specifically the people who 
they're not invested in, in building it like yourself, but they're invested in it because they, they like what it's doing. They'll probably be the ones to either, either uh, respond to that person or at the very least, just let you know that there's this one person who's, yeah, there's nothing constructive about it. And uh, they're just being offensive and sounds like possibly for, uh, just for the sake of being offensive. So, you know, and so then, and, and, and that I, I suspect, or at the very least, I hope, would probably be rare, that it would probably be mostly people yeah. interested in sort of just having a conversation, having a dialogue. Because even in that, somebody can have a, uh, they could be having a very genuine discussion about this thing they read, and they just might be, you know, they might not be very delicate about it, especially if they have something negative to say, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're being an asshole. It just mm-hmm. means that, you know, maybe it didn't occur to them to, to, you know, measure their words. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but you can, I think, I don't know. I, I think you can kind of, kind of sort of tell the difference. Uh, I, I suspect. And so that's the sort of thing that I would agree with you. Like I would, I would just assume not want to see that voice censored. Um, one of the things that I learned uh, as a, once I started publishing is uh, very early on in, into the pu- publication of uh, my, my first novel inside the outside, um, like in the first couple of weeks and, and to a certain degree, I, maybe even the first couple of months, but uh, the reviews that I got back were overwhelmingly positive. I was like, oh, this is great. This is way easier than I thought. I thought it was going to be a lot more, but, you know, people seem to really enjoy this. This is wonderful. And then what I what I learned is there's this very, uh, there's this double-edged sword of, um, on the one hand, uh I, you know, just like any other author, I wanted the book to be as successful as it could be. I wanted to sell as many copies as I could possibly sell, uh, you know, both for 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 monetary purposes, because the more books I sold, the more money it would earn, and that would make it easier for me to, to write and publish the next book. But then also in terms of, you know, what it represented, like the more the, the more books it's selling represents that people are, are buying it, they're interested, they're reading it, and uh, they're, they're, they're investing themselves in the story I wrote. Um, and so the the double edged sword I discovered eventually was, as the book found success, which was very satisfying, the more people that read it and the larger that readership got, the higher the probability that people weren't going to like it. Yeah. And I wasn't I I, I I I naively let myself be seduced by everybody who reads it seems to like it. <laughs> <laughs> and then once the once that once that readership got bigger, all of a sudden I started seeing some reviews that were that were less less glowing, less mm-hmm. positive. In some cases, people outright hated it, and I was like, "Well, that didn't feel very good." But, uh, but, and I always, I always, and I still do. You know, it's like, well, at the end of the day, if they spent their money on the book and they took, <laughs> if they took time to read it, they, you win. They, 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 they're allowed to have that thought. But fuck, that hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, well, that's that's one of the big things about the internet. Like, you could have, you know, a video of the Dalai Lama rescuing a puppy from a burning building while a train's about to hit it. And it'll still get, you know, minimum five, you know, people disliking it yeah. and, you know, comments about like how terrible the system is. <laughs> like, it's just the nature of the beast. You know? Yeah. Now, now, even though you've started this, uh, this really great website, as you mentioned earlier, it's not, you know, you're not just interested in, uh, in, in, in building, running a website, your initial, the initial, uh, fire came from wanting to, from, from being an author yourself. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your own writing aspirations. And you all, I mean, you mentioned writing a couple of books, you mentioned it in, you mentioned it in passing, but even writing one book, mm. 
published or not is a pretty tremendous accomplishment. So, mm-hmm. um, so tell me about your own writing aspirations and kind of where you're at with that. Well, where I'm at is, you know, <laughs> nowhere really, but, uh, the initial, you know, bug to write like a full thing came after my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the summer and I was just, you know, wanted something to do and I've always wanted to, to, to write. And so it sort of came off a dream I had. I was just like, it was, I don't know, like a guy in Scotland. And then there was like a, like an alien, like a UFO or something. And like, it was like actually like native Americans and it was just sort of this (laughs) weird thing. And I was just like, that was weird. But then I was like, you know, it's an interesting concept. Like if, if, you know, in the middle ages or something, America had actually been like developed by some culture. And then like, by the time Columbus got there, they were all gone for some reason. Uh So I sort of, you know, took that idea and, you know, whatever idea you start with when you start writing a book, it changes a million times by the time you're done. Right. Uh, But I mean, that, that sort of core idea, it, it, the core idea came out as Leif Erikson was actually like a scientific prodigy. And so he was kicked out of his homeland, you know, and, and went, went West with a group of like, you know, Vikings breaking off and they set up a colony in the new world and they just advanced crazy fast. And so, you know, who, whoever, they're regarding as gods, the Native Americans and stuff, like all these planes flying around and stuff is actually this advanced Viking culture. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too much into like the, <laughs> the, the real, you know, meat of the story. No, but it's, okay. it's, it's got like time travel, it's fantasy, it's like a million things, um, which maybe was the problem. But now, was this your was first, first novel? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, so you write the first draft and then you're like, okay, that feels good. And that, that takes, you know, a very long time. And, it changes a lot about how you think about writing, how you mm-hmm. look at the world. I mean, honestly, that's probably one of the one of the be- biggest, you know, assets that you get when you start writing seriously like that is whenever you walk into a room, you look at it so differently. You <laughs> you think about people's motivations when you're reading something else. I remember after I'd, I'd, I was like halfway through my second novel and I went back and read Shakespeare, I read like Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And you just read it so differently because you get into the mind of the writer, you know, you get like oh, I could see him, like, struggling for a word choice here and, like, settling <laughs> on this. Or, you know, maybe that's not the case with Shakespeare. But, like, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it changes how you look at the whole world. But anyway, so once I finished my first book and, like, the fourth round of editing or whatever, uh, which is fun in and of itself. You, like, print oh, yeah. out every page. You, like, <laughs> mark it all. You edit that when you're typing it back in. Uh, and then you have, you know, friends and family read it. You get reviews. People like it, mm-hmm. you know. And you're like, okay, cool. So I've got something here. Like, let's see what, what, you know, other people say. And so then you start sending it out to, yeah, you're selective at first. You're like, okay, this person likes young adult, like fantasy and like alternate history and that kind of thing. Like they're perfect. So you, you craft the perfect cover letter for this agent. Right. And this is going to be your agent. And you look at them on Twitter (laughs) and like read their blog and stuff. And, and you wait the three weeks or whatever to hear back. And like, you get a form letter back and you're like, oh, (laughs) Uh, okay. Try again. So you do that a couple more times, changing the cover letter and all that stuff. And then you're just like, Hmm, no responses whatsoever. Like no, you know, just form letters. And so then you just, you're like, well, here's a list of a hundred <laughs> agents looking for work. And so, you know, by the time, by the time the rest of the year is done, you've racked up thousands of rejections uh, based on a cover letter, you know? Right. And you're just like, not a single piece of writing from my book was in there like what are you you're basing this on i don't know a million like i i don't know that's the thing they yeah. don't tell you 
So then yeah. I, I wrote another book, and this one was based on my experiences in New York. It was, it was like about a school for spies that was like under New York for like kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like they would like run through the subway systems, just like, you know, kind of fun spy stuff. Um, and so the same exact story. I mean, I never got feedback on it. My dad has the claim to he's the only one who's read both of my books. Um, <laughs> so thanks, Dad. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the trouble is just that there's no platform in which people give a piece of writing a chance that hasn't been vetted and approved by, you know, the gatekeepers, mm-hmm. the, the people that be. It's just, it's like a, a very difficult system. And yeah. I, I, I'd say broken. <laughs> yeah, and I, I even remember too when the... Because, like, everything that you described, I mean, that was pretty much my experience. It was pretty much the experience of most every author who's ever endeavored to get their work published, whether they succeeded or not. They've pretty much kind of dealt with that. And uh, and so, like you, I collected, you know, countless you know, rejection letters. And I eventually got to the point where, uh, you know, I could recognize this, a certain um, certain hierarchy of, rejection so like if it was the, if it was the form letters like okay yeah they probably like an intern read mm-hmm. it maybe their assistant but it never got to them sometimes it was a form letter with an actual signature it's like okay well they mm. they didn't write a letter but they took the time to sign their name <laughs> maybe that means that they uh thought about it for five minutes right. then sometimes you would get uh a, you know basically a form letter but my name was on it hmm. so okay there's my sometimes i i would sometimes i would even get like I think I don't think I'm making this up. I'd have to go. I, I keep all my I, I have all my rejections in a, <laughs> in a in a binder and like somewhere in my office. But but you know I think sometimes you would get um, it was either they would scratch out you know essentially the uh, you know dear writer and they would scratch it out and put you know like Martin. I was like uh-huh. okay, well they, they took the time to acknowledge <laughs> that they knew my name, I guess. Yeah. And then very occasionally you'd get a, a, a or at least I'd get a personalized rejection that made reference to the story, at least in vague enough details, like, okay, those details exist, so <laughs> they at least read a page or they yeah. you know, whatever. And even those were small victories. All of a sudden, it's like, they're still, every, at the end of the day, they're, they all, care. <laughs> they're all saying no, but yeah. it's like, all right, well, that sounded like it took them longer to get to the no, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then eventually it was like, oh, fuck, it's all, it, it's all no. Yeah. They're all no's. I don't know what to do at this point. And... um and so, you know, we, I, I, what I eventually, the, the, where I eventually got, and, I, and, I, and I, I know you eventually got there and where a lot of writers eventually get, is, you know, there's this crossroads of, all right, I'm, I'm trying desperately to, uh, to scale the walls of the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and all the while... I know there's this other option. I know there's this option of self-publishing, but everything that I've been taught, everything that I've read, everything that I've learned from so many people that I respect is don't self-publish because, you know, essentially that's what, that's not what real writers don't self-publish. That's mm-hmm. where, that's for the writers who don't have the skill. They can't quite hack it. They want to, they want to put out a book that their mom and dad can read. But, you know, if you want to be a real writer, then you've, you you know you, you you go with the traditional publishing, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know you, you have to scale the walls. It's got to be hard because if it was easy, everybody would yeah. do it. So it's gonna be hard, but you just just keep fucking pressing forward, <laughs> and eventually you're gonna make it because you're good enough. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, I okay, but fuck, I don't seem to be making it. Yeah. And uh, 
and I don't know, I, I don't know what to do. And I had this book, you know, that uh, eventually became Inside the Outside. I'm really proud of it. And I really like it. And I think people would like it. And uh, I don't know. Do I want to? What if? What if the? What if the best case scenario is? Uh, let's say I successfully scale this wall of publishing, and I'm like 60 years old. <laughs> but uh, but I, but I did it. Yeah. I, I took as long as I took, but I did it. And uh, and now you know. 30 whatever years later people are finally reading my book well fuck that seems kind of silly uh-huh. what if i just published it myself and just you know because i think people would like this book i really do and then um and so i was left with uh, and again i'm going to ask you your opinions on this because you're younger than me but i know i was sort of left with you know uh, I, w- I was muddled in the in, in the in sort of the, the the rhetoric and the philosophy of if you take your writing seriously you know you don't publish it yourself but then I was also like, but I'm I'm a writer, and uh, ultimately, in my core, I've, I I I I like to think of myself as a, as an artist. And so far as I like to create stuff, and and there's really not much fun in creating something if there's not an audience mm-hmm. to sort of you know yeah. uh, take in what you've created. And so ultimately, I'm just writing these stories that nobody's reading, least right. of all the agents who are saying no. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so I eventually, after a lot of you know. Uh, hand wringing and, and, and hair pulling. As you can see, I'm bald, a lot of hair pulling, you know, <laughs> uh, made the decision to, to publish this book myself. And, uh, and, and of course, e- even, even then, you know, once, once I got into the world of, uh, self-publishing, independent publishing, learn that there's even different sort of levels and venues and, and, mm-hmm. and avenues in which people do that. So then in my case, I, you know, I started my, my small press called Cannibal Press. I, I, I legally filed it, uh, so it's 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 an official thing. Uh, I when I when I do my 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 taxes and I do I do everything in the same way that I treat it as professionally as any other publisher would. Um, but in doing that, I'm publishing my story. So then, of course, by definition, I'm publishing my own story. So I'm self-publishing, even though I'm doing the right. same thing that an indie publisher or a traditional publisher. You know, like I'm. I I hire you know uh, you know I, I hire editors I hire designers I I I you know I put together uh, capital to spend on on designers and editors and and promotion and and I do all the same stuff that another publisher would do but uh, but you know I'm publishing it myself on the one hand does that make me self-published if it does I'm fine with that uh, but does it make me does it somehow diminish the work that I did uh, and by the same token you know uh, if I took your book and I published it in the exact same way that I published mine, you're not self-published. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then it creates all this weird, you know, gray, gray area that, uh, one of the things that makes me really happy is that the, the paradigm in terms of the, the stigma involved with self-publishing and traditional publishing is, is very rapidly shifting. And that's actually what I wanted to ask you about. Cause you know, you're, you're about 15 years younger than I am. So you're pretty much represent the, I think the generation coming up behind me, uh, how for for you coming up as a as an aspiring writer was how strong or, or what was there a stigma with self publishing and if so how strong was it how much did you feel that yeah I mean it's tricky to say exactly because you've got the people who frequent all the all the writing blogs and the the, the loud voices of the unpublished authors tend to still make a cult of the published you know authors like they mm-hmm. will say you know regardless of of how much effort and how many many rejections they're getting they still think there's something to being published, Mm -hmm. which I always thought was a bit weird because I mean, sure. If you read, you know, a a published writer's book, it's polished, right? It's got that kind of like 
veneer. It's like been like really looked at. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can definitely say that there's there's something to that. However, I mean, there's nothing in your book that's worse than someone who got a yes from mm-hmm. an agent, right? And like this is the same is true for so many thousands, you know, of of other authors out there. Their their work is no worse. Mm-hmm. It's just a crowded marketplace, right? And there's only so many dollars. Um, but from people my age, I mean, other authors I've talked to, so I was in a creative writing class sort of similar to yours. We could, we could talk and authors get very defensive. Generally. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we didn't really talk. Publishing is not something that people really tend to talk about, uh, when they're like just writing in creative writing classes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah, the people who are there want to be writers, but they more talk about getting into journals and stuff and they see Mm -hmm. actually getting with a big publisher is you know sort of a pipe dream like (laughs) how do you even do that like it just seems you people sort of know these days that you have to market yourself like crazy which feels a bit you know icky to writers writers by nature like the craft you know we like writing and when it comes to really getting out onto the business end it's tough for writers so yeah, I mean, like, I, I heard what you said earlier about, about a lot of writers thinking that uh, when they get published, like, that's sort of the end of it. Like, you're done now. Like, now the publisher takes it. But that's not mm-hmm. really true, right? Like, you need to – it's all marketing, yeah. right? So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's true. And, and you know, and I've talked to uh, – I've had the opportunity to talk to uh, a lot of different writers on, on this show from uh, self-published writers to traditionally published writers and writers kind of somewhere in between – and one of the common denominators that I've learned from all of them, and I, and I already basically knew it, but but uh, but I like to ask them about it, and, and more times than not, they confirm it is uh, whether they're publishing their own work or they've got you know uh, a, a reputable publisher who's put the work out themselves. Ultimately, the onus to sell it falls on the writer. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, even if you get a, a big publishing deal, it's up to the writer to sell that book. And which is you, weird when you think about it, because it's, that's why you get a publisher. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to sell my book. Oh, no, you sell your book. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we, we spent the money on yeah. the editors and the designers <laughs> and everything. So go sell it. If you sell it, if, if you sell enough copies, we'll we'll give you another deal. Exactly. <laughs> and, and if you don't we'll take 90 <laughs> percent. Yeah. And, and, and I think for me early on, eventually I came to realize, OK, if if ultimately there's so much is going to fall on my shoulders anyway, if I'm going to do all this work anyway, then uh, then 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 why not work out the puzzle of how to publish? Like it can't be how difficult can it be? I don't know. Like when I, you know, when I first endeavored to figure out how to publish, it was very scary and very intimidating and whatever. But little by little, as I sort of demystified the process for myself, and then I eventually got to the end of it, and I realized this really isn't that hard. Mm. And so. If, if 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 I'm capable of doing this and I'm willing to do this and then I can get the book out, if I was already going to do the, the work of marketing and finding an audience anyway, then I don't know. It just kind of, it just kind of sort of makes sense. Why, you know, why, why wouldn't I do it? And so, um, and, and one thing, one thing I think about a lot of times, whether it's a writer who's either endeavoring to get a, pub, a publishing deal or, um, or not like that so often I want to, uh, you know, I wish I could tell them, you know, like publishing a book, you know, once you get to the other side of it, you realize it's not that complicated. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's uh we've, it's, but before you do it, you sort of hold it up on this, uh, on this sort of 
platform and, and you look at it and it's it's scary and it's big and of course you need a publisher to do it because I'm just a little old writer and, and like you know talking about me specifically I'm not I'm not uh, you know there's I I I, I I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not much of a business person. I don't mm-hmm. think. I don't have a whole lot of. I don't know necessarily that I have a lot of like business savvy. Uh, so the fact that I was able to figure out how to publish a book, you know, kind of tells me if I can do this, fucking anybody can do this. And then it's just a matter of making a, making a choice of. Uh, would, are are you willing to do this work that I know anybody, anybody with enough motivation can you know can publish a novel. Uh, then it just becomes a matter of, you know, why wouldn't you? But I think I, I, I speak for, you know, a few people at least when I say, in, in, you know, if, if you were to talk to yourself before the whole journey had started, mm-hmm. right? I, and maybe this isn't true, but that person would be saying like, oh, well, how did you do it? Can I like <laughs> write down the steps? Because it's, you know, looking back, it's always like, oh, yeah, and then that happened and it just kind of worked out. But so often it's like catching lightning in a bottle. Oh, it's just sure. like the right thing has to happen at the right time. Like we're doing this podcast because of a total fluke. You know, I, <laughs> I needed a speaker for this event. So I went to, to the Ontario City Library, asked a librarian if they had any authors that come in. They direct me to some other, um, some other department as I was about to leave because they, they didn't know. And they knew, you know, uh, S.K. Murphy. Uh-huh. And then she, you know, knew you. It's just like so <laughs> random. So, you know... Really, if, if anything comes of anything, it's, it's oftentimes it's so much luck, too. Yeah. It's just, and even if, you know, so the, the advantage that a publisher gives you, right? So it's not, it's not to say, oh, it is then all, all on you, because publishers do have access to, sure. they know the bloggers, they know the, the people who will speak about your book, that kind of thing. So they do offer something. Yeah, even getting reviews, that's true, because yeah. there's a lot of reviewers who, you know, if, uh, if you are self-published or published by a small independent press... They're you know they're not going to review your book, but if you know, they, that they only review books that come from right, a bigger exactly. reputable publisher. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that's uh, not to go back to the website, but that's another thing that it, it is an advantage mm-hmm. to writers is having having reviews from anyone. You know, even if yeah. it's a random esteemed reviewer from 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 a, a site who's not it's not his site. He's just some random guy, but people sort of know his username maybe. Yeah, but it's just you know. This person liked my book. A thousand people agreed with them. Maybe that says something. Yeah. So it's, who knows? I mean, the, the entire point of the internet is to sort of level the playing field in mm-hmm. all these different mediums. And and that hasn't really happened with something like writing or even something like movies. It's, there's a few industries that are sort of like hanging on to the old system. And, and I think tearing down those walls in certain ways is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And everything you said about... Uh, you know, cause like I know, I know, um, one of the really pleasant byproducts of, uh, becoming a, an independent publisher, uh, is sort of, and, you know, sort of making a, an effort to sort of ingrain myself in the community of, uh, indie, in, indie authors, indie publishers mm-hmm. is I've made a lot of friends and, I, and I've, yeah. and I've networked with a lot of folks. And so I know, uh, at this point I know uh, a lot of, uh, uh, authors, you know, self-published indie some traditional, but you know, a lot of authors, um, but especially the the independent authors who are by and large doing what I'm doing, and you know they uh, they haven't you know they uh, they they haven't had say the the the, the fortune of enjoying uh, 
you know, certain uh, successes that I've enjoyed. And, and I know part of it is I can point to, uh, well, uh, I, I'm very ambitious and I work very hard and I spend a lot of time networking and trying to connect with readers and I do a lot of things, but I also know a lot of readers who do a lot of that stuff too. Um, and so then very much to your point at, at some point, you know, like I know, and, and, and I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable saying this out loud. I know that, uh, I don't know what the percentage is, but I know a good deal of the success I've enjoyed has very much been luck and has been very much chance. And, you know, uh, as hard as you're willing to work, uh, in the same way as maybe getting a a traditional publishing deal, um, or, you know, ending up having a conversation on, on a podcast, like, like in your case, you've got this great website, uh, you're, you're interesting, you're articulate, you've got this, uh, if you're, you're creative, you've got all this stuff going for you. And as you said, despite all the stuff you have going for you, it was a chance meeting with, uh, with my friend SK Murphy <laughs> exactly. that, you know, that brought you here. And, and, you know, and that's, that's part of it. And like, I know that, you know, for whatever work I put into, you know, any of my, any of my publishing, I know that as hard as I'm willing to work and I'll, and, and, and I work really hard every day, there's always that part of my brain that knows I got to get a little bit lucky. Mm-hmm. And I, and, mm-hmm. and, and the part of me that can't control that, um, I can, uh, I, especially the, especially the closer I get to publishing my new book, um, I, I lose sleep over that. Mm. And I, I just, in, just ran in just in the middle of the day, you know, I think, okay, I, I worked really hard on this. I, I found the, the, the best designers and I found uh, a talented editor. I've had people I trust look at it. I've crafted this. Uh, I've, uh, I've been, I've spent the last several months sort of preparing a, uh, a launch and a, and a promotion and, and a marketing plan and and I'm doing all this stuff but fuck I mean there's there's that little bit of luck that I you know yeah. I gotta I, I, there's, I can do so much but at some point I know that that little extra thing is completely out of my control right. I can cross my fingers I can hope uh, and the fact that I can't control it the fact that I can't that I can't uh I can't work my way into being lucky. Mm-hmm. I, I just sort of have to, <laughs> yeah. I can, you know, and so, so that's something, uh, so you said that and it, and it completely, it's completely true, resonates with me. And it's something even, even now, even talking about it, now, I feel like, now I feel like I'm in a therapy session because I, <laughs> I worry about this every day. Uh-huh. Uh, hopefully a year from now, uh, I, I can look back on this conversation and say, the fuck was i worried about <laughs> the book did fine right i hope that's true but no, and there's <laughs> a, there no are idea. a few cases where and i think people are kind of disingenuous about this but so when you take a, an example like jk rowling right mm-hmm. so she writes all the harry potters and you know makes all the money and then she's like hmm i i mean and she i mean her story obviously she was lucky it was her stuff was on the on the floor of the house of the publisher or the <laughs> editor or agent or whatever. And the agent's daughter like randomly picked it up and was like, Oh, so good. And like <laughs> it, it all happened for her. But then she, she sort of decides, Oh, I'm going to, you know, put on a pseudonym and put out, you know, this new book, the casual vacancy. Right. And everyone hears that. And they're like, Oh, Hey, awesome. Good on her. I like, I can't believe it worked out how she must really be good. I mean, she came in with a publisher. The publisher knew who she was, so right. they promoted it like a five-star author. Of course, right. it's going to work out. Like it's, <laughs> but it it sort of, you know, reinforces the myth of 
of if you're good, you can do it. And even the most prolific author, that's not true. I mean, how many books did Stephen King, like, Mm -hmm. right before... He, the whole apocryphal maybe that he was about to give up through his stuff in the trash and his wife's like, come on, honey. And it's that, I mean, how many Stephen Kings left it in the trash? You know? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Tons, I'm sure. Yeah. And especially when we're talking about writing, I'll I'll even broaden it to, you know, writing, filmmaking, Mm. uh, music, whatever, any sort of creative endeavor, you know, it's, it's so subjective that, you know, even if you work hard, even if you do have some intangible natural talent that that uh, you were born with but you but you take that talent and you surround it with with hard work um it's still very subjective right Mm -hmm. but uh which is why you know like uh a a very there's you know there's a million talented writers actors musicians filmmakers whatever who you know their work you know like they'll they'll never cross over into uh, either earning money or people knowing who they are just because, you know, just for whatever reason, mm-hmm. luck, circumstances, things weren't on their side. But if you look on the other side, uh, well, I don't know if, I don't know if it's literally the other side, but on another spectrum, if you talk about something like athletics, mm-hmm. um, athletics on the surface would appear like this is the most objective mm-hmm. form of competition, right? You work hard, you, you, uh, you build strength and speed and skill and, uh, and and certainly, just as it is with uh, you know uh, artistic talent, um, a, a lot of high level athletes they're born with certain talents that you know like like Michael Jordan you know he he's uh, he's six foot six right you know you <laughs> right. can't you can't teach somebody to be six foot six um, he's very athletic he can he can work hard on his athleticism but but there's a certain amount of like if you took me and uh, Michael Jordan or I guess maybe uh, 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 or Kobe Bryant he's he's actually my age right so. So if I, if you took me and Kobe Bryant and and I spent the summer working out with Kobe Bryant and I did everything that he did at the end of that summer um I'd be a much better basketball player but I'm not going to go to the NBA because mm-hmm. he's got certain natural talents okay but then let's say taking all that stuff out it's you know athletically you know speaking about athletics it's objective you can still work hard you can still whatever but that said how many amazing athletes were born in a in an impoverished neighborhood, yeah. and they got into they got into whatever crime or uh, selling drugs or whatever, and they ended up in prison or they ended up dead or you know they um, I don't know they had to drop out of school and go to work to help support their family. And there's all these other elements that that even in that, like to look at the the most successful athletes, even though on the surface it's very objective to say, well, if you're good, you're gonna get there. There's there's so many circumstances that are going to affect ultimately who succeeds and who doesn't. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell famously analyzes, you know, Canadian ice hockey players. He says, take something like athleticism that's so objective. But then when you look at how many people in the NHL, I don't know what it's called in Canada, but how many of them are are born in a certain month and it's like 95% of them. Oh, Why? Because at the time when they go into, uh, you know, the, the portion of school that determines like, uh, who will sort of be cut off to like be on the A team versus the B team next year, the ones born in that certain month are more developed. Right. So mm-hmm. then it's just has this, you know, aggregating effect of every year they're better because they were more developed initially. So it's like it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with their innate talent. It has mm-hmm. to do with 
ran these things that happen when they're a kid that no one thought like when we're they're setting the system up like maybe we should test them all when they're exactly this age they thought but this is how the school year is set up you know <laughs> and so many things are like that i mean and yeah so when you look at something like basketball height is is a pretty crucial factor and you have some you know uh exceptions but yeah i mean even height uh, no i mean height height really does matter <laughs> in basketball you're totally right so that is one but i i'd say that it it's almost a a trope these days that you can trace somebody's history back to a point where you're like oh well that's why they was lucky like bill gates growing up with one of the only computers in the country or mm-hmm. steve jobs you know at just the right time, knowing Steve Wozniak. It's just like all sorts of yeah. things that had to happen just just so. Yeah. And of course, the other end of it, just just so uh, just so nobody... <laughs> I, I would hate for somebody to listen to our conversation and start to, start to get kind of sad. Like, well, fuck. No, <laughs> no I'm not discrediting well, no, I know, I know, people. No, I know, I know. But like, I can imagine somebody thinking, like, well, what's the point if I got to get lucky anyway? What's the point? The other side of it is yeah, yeah. that uh, while you, you know, that... Uh, there's the i'm sure somebody wrote this somewhere i'm positive this isn't my own original thought but but at the but you know success is the point where where hard work and luck officially meet something like that you've got to do the work so while you do kind of have to hope for a spark of luck that you're not in control of Mm -hmm. you're completely in control of how hard you work how prepared you are uh it's just like just like anything you could be presented with an amazing opportunity but if you haven't done the work to prepare yourself to take advantage of that opportunity, it doesn't matter. Right. So, you know, there is a certain spark of luck you got to hope you catch. But on the other hand, keep doing the work. Keep plowing forward because you never know, you know mm-hmm. when it's going to happen. I mean, you could, uh, you know, you could, like there's like I know there's plenty of authors who uh, who's, who've written, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 books. And it wasn't until book number fifteen that caught fire, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden they they've got a career. But and then uh, people read all the previous. 15. Yeah, everybody goes backwards. But you know they had you know they kept doing the work until that that spark of luck, yeah. fate, whatever you want to call it. By the time that intervened, they'd done the appropriate amount of of work to be to to, to be in the best position to take advantage of that. So mm-hmm. so it's it's you know so while while we have spent a little while talking about you know luck and good fortune. It's still worth everybody, anybody who's interested in doing anything creative, Definitely. writing, it's still, just keep doing the work. And, you know, and that's the other thing is, I mean, if you come from from, from just a really pure space of I'm doing the work because I love it, but I would like to make money at it because if I make money at it, then it allows me to keep doing the work. And you just keep doing the work. If you, I, I, you know, maybe this is me being optimistic, but it's probably, it's got to be true, right? If you just do the work long enough, if you don't stop. At some point, it, the, the the odds have to be in your favor that at some point you're mm. going to catch on a spark of luck along the way. Mm. Yeah, and I mean there are certain things that make you more lucky, right? So, so that's sort of like something like this website, right? If it existed, more people could get lucky mm-hmm. because there would just be that critical mass of people who would put, be you know leveraging people into being lucky, right? Mm-hmm. So while it might diminish the sales of more popular authors because now there's you know. 20 jk rowlings as opposed to now there can just be one because it takes so much to make a jk rowling mm-hmm. that uh, there there are a lot of things that can make people more lucky like that yeah. and that's that's sort of the cool thing about the internet too is that things can catch fire overnight mm-hmm. and like you never know i mean that's sort of the irony of the internet too is like tomorrow if <laughs> if everyone on facebook decided that it'd be funny to like go to something called like 
lace look, right? Uh-huh. It, that was an exact clone of Facebook. <laughs> they could do that just because it's it's funny. And then right. Facebook, a billion dollar company, goes under, and lace look like rises to the top. But that's just sort of the age we live in, right? Yeah. It's just you, you never know. But there are things that people can do, is what I'm saying. To yeah, like, no, no, get I, lucky. I, I completely agree. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Michael. I could. I mean, I. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation as much as I, any I've had on this show in a while, and I could really sit here and keep talking to you, but mm. uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up. But uh, as, long as, uh, as long as you're willing to come back, this won't be our last time chatting on the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Um, any last things you'd like to, to leave with the listeners before we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, other than if you want to check out the website, and then there's a contact thing at the bottom. So we're still you know, very much in development. So there's a, if you... Email the the onlinebrary at Gmail and just say your thoughts on it. And if it, you can upload whatever you want to it right now, so yeah. Okay. And if folks want to get in touch with you, or can they find you on Twitter, or where can they find you? Uh, I don't. I don't really have too much social media stuff going on right okay. now. But you, if you email that email address, I'll, I'm the one who gets it. So. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. fair enough. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and again, it was uh, on onlinebrary dot com. Yep. Uh, www o n l i n b r a r y dot com. Yes. Did I get that right? That okay. Exactly right. So, uh, so yeah, if you're if you're an aspiring writer, if you'd like to get your work up so people can take a look at it, even if you're only kind of aspiring, right? Even if you're only just kind of thinking about it, this yeah. is probably a good spot. If you want to write your first blog, if you've written a poem or you know whatever. Yeah. No. This is this is a really wonderful idea, and I think it's really ideal for. Writers of, of, of any level, you know, writers who are, if you're only marginally thinking this is something that you kind of want to do, or if uh, if you're ready to really try to kickstart what becomes a writing career, this is a great place to get that started. So I think you're doing a really great thing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I really appreciate you being on the show, Michael. So thanks for being thanks here. Thanks for having me. Michael Pontel, wasn't he every bit as extraordinary as I told you he was? Michael was born on December 22nd, 1991, and he passed away on May 12th, 2015, and he was 23 years old. And every time I think about that, uh, it just... I just can't help but think about how life just doesn't make sense sometimes. On the good days, obviously, life makes all the sense in the world, but on the bad days, on the tragic days, on the darkest of our days, it just doesn't make sense. 23 years old. 23 years just isn't fair. I can only imagine how much better this world would have been with 60 or 70 more years of that man in it. But then again, Michael Pontel did more with his 23 years than most of us do in a lifetime. So, well done, Michael. Well done for a life well lived. Before I wrap up, I just want to remind you that in lieu of flowers, 
Michael's family requests donations be sent to Achieve Goals, which is an educational 501c3 nonprofit organization affiliated with On Library. The address is 11625 Mount Hood Court, Rancho Cucamonga, California, 91737. Please include Michael Pontel. The last name Pontel is spelled P-O-N capital T-E-L-L. Please include Michael Pontel in the memo line. The money will be used to support young writers, coordinate future contests, and provide scholarships. And beyond that, before I get out of here, I just I just want to remind you guys to to remember to love and appreciate everybody around you. Forever isn't promised to any of us, and we never really know what tomorrow holds or who will still be here when it comes. So go find someone you love and give them a big old hug and tell them just how much you love them. Come to think of it, that's exactly what I'm going to do right now. So thanks everyone for joining me this week. I love all of you. And until next time, I'll see you on the other side.